series this morning, and I've, I've realized we've, we've had some extra elements in the service, and so I, I came into this morning with a message that it was already longer than I knew I had time for, and now I have even less time, and so I'm in a bit of a dilemma, I'll be honest with you, I'm in a bit of a dilemma because I either have to talk really fast, um, we're going to see how it goes and, and, and how far we get, there's a good chance this will become a two-parter and we'll continue next week. Um, so let's, let's just trust as the Lord leads us. Tools for the journey. Tools for the journey. Every journey you take, you want to take the right tools. I've shared all throughout this, this series about our, our trip out of Alaska. We left Alaska in January 2010 and drove down the Alaska Highway through Canada, middle of winter, pulling a travel, I mean a, a U-Haul trailer. And uh, we had to prepare for that journey. We had to prepare for that journey. There were tools that we needed that literally could save our lives if we got stuck. Some of the remote, most remote, desolate, gorgeous, beautiful countryside in the world. But it's deadly when it's 15 degrees outside and you haven't seen other cars for over an hour. You want to make sure you're equipped. Any journey you take, you want to make sure that you have the right tools to, to be successful in that journey. And so... In our walk with the Lord, as we're going on this journey that we started at the beginning of this year, talking about being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes that, that God's desire is that we look more like Jesus. That we look more like Jesus. And that He is committed to that process of transformation in our lives. We, we've talked about the fact that that quite often God is even, well, not quite often, all the time, God is more committed to that process than we are. Because I can, I can get distracted. How about you? I can get distracted. But God is never d- distracted from His purpose and His call from my life, which He knew before I was even born. And, and as we set out on this journey of being transformed into the image of Jesus God says, listen, I'm going to give you tools that are going to make it possible for you to walk in victory. Because God knows that in the world that we live, in this life that we live, that there's going to be challenges, there's going to be hard days, there just are. But he says, I'm going to give you the tools that you need to be able to persevere and press through and grow and go from glory to glory and not stay the same. And so it's important for us to know what those tools are. The, the tools that we've talked about already, the tool of prayer, the communication with God. You, know, you can't know the direction you're supposed to go unless you're hearing His voice. So we need to be a people of, of prayer. Last week we talked about being a people of His Word, meeting God in His Word. We have to know His heart for us as He's declared it and expressed it in His Word, His Word of truth. His Word is a, is a lamp, a light unto our feet. His Word is a sword. It's used in battle. Am I, am I ringing a little bit? We adjust the gain just a little bit there. Thank you. Um, his word is a sword. His word is powerful. His word is active and alive, and it's doing a work in me, and so we need to meet God's, God in his word. Well, this morning, I want to talk about worship. One of the most powerful tools that we have in our toolbox as believers is the tool of worship. And, and rather than me just launch into my own thoughts on this, I want to read the words of probably one of the greatest worshipers in history, a man named David. A man whose worship 
Uh, we, in, in many of the songs we sing, we reiterate and sing the same words that he, he penned thousands of years ago. This comes out of 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 23 and following. It says this, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Can you say amen to that? Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and joy are, his, uh, are in His dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Let the, let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant in everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing. Let them sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord, for his, He is good. His love endures forever. Wow. Wow. And here's what I love about this, is that David didn't write these words, right? Sometimes we have this picture of David sitting under a tree watching this, the sheep going, hmm, what am I going to write today? Oh, that sounds good. You know, it's kind of this passive thing. David sang this song as the, the ark was being led into Jerusalem. This is the song that he was singing when he went nuts for Jesus, for God, for the Trinity, for everything that God is and the wholeness. And he just went berserk to the point that his wife, Michael, looks at him through the window and says, you, she despised him, the Bible says, because she, when they laid her on see each other, she, she says to him, you acted like a fool in front of all these people. And, and he says, no, 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 you don't understand says, I will become even more ridiculous than this, right? I will, I, will become, I will become more undone than this for the sake of my God because he is worthy. I love what flows out of David's heart because it is a reflection of what was in his heart. And what was in his heart was there because of the place that God had in his life. He didn't have to work on this, it just came out. I know in times I'll, I'll be praising God and I'll just be like, okay, Lord, I just want to sing a song to you. And I say like the same sentence over and over and over and over and over. And I'm like, oh, I gotta, there's got to be something else in there, right? God, come on, come on. I'm like, I want the heart of David. I want that to flow. Now, I'm not creative. I'm not a songwriter. But that's just so cool. See, here's the reality. I will worship what I value most. I will worship what I value most, and what I value will get the best of who I am. I will worship what I value most, and what I value most will get the very best of who I am. It will get the best of my affections. It will get the best of my body. It will get the best of my time. It will get the best of my finances. 
What I value will get the best of my everything. See, what happens is, is when we stop putting God in a place where we worship Him and we honor Him and we praise His name, and our focus becomes self in this world and the things I need and the things I want. There's a word for that in the Bible. It's called idolatry. It's called idolatry. In fact, David talks about it here. He says, for the, all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Why does he insert that there? Why is that important to say? It's important to say because of this. When you create an idol, when you have an idol that you are worshiping, you're in essence saying, I've made this thing to worship so that it can do something for me. If you look at all of the gods, all of the idols of all of these pagan nations, they had a God for fertility. They had a God so that the crops would prosper. They had a God for rain. They had a God for all of these things. Why? So that they would benefit. So I'm going to pray something so it benefits me. Why? Because I value me most. And so I've made my worship not about something higher or greater or more awesome than me. It's about me. And so when I exchange God in that place of awesome, uh, most value, I put myself there. It's called idolatry. John chapter 4 Verse 23 and 24 says this, Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. This is Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. When they have a, a, difference, of a, a difference of agreement regarding a place of worship for the Samaritans. This is Jesus' response to her. Time is coming. God is looking for worshipers that will worship in spirit and in truth. The spirit referenced here is the spirit part of who we are. It's that innermost part of who we are. It's the part of us that is created in the image of God. The Bible says we are created imago Dei, in the image of God. It's when, G, when, when, when God the Father rather breathed that life into us. His life breath, his spirit gave life to our very being. It's that part of us that comes alive in Christ. That because of sin in the Garden of Eden, our spirit was dead. We were dead to God. We were dead to his ways, to his ways of thinking. But through Jesus Christ, we've gained access. And the Bible says that our spirit comes alive in Christ. And all of a sudden, there is this deep part of us, this spirit part of us, that becomes the source of our worship. What's implied here is there is a way to worship not in spirit. There's a way that I can worship that just is out of emotion. There's a way that I can worship that is just out of the flesh. But God says, I am looking for worshipers that will worship in spirit. Why? Because it's that part of us that will align with God's heart, with who He is, because we are created in the image of God. And in truth, we are to worship in truth. What does that mean? That we worship one God, and one God alone. And that we worship Him with the right motivations and the right attitudes of the heart. That when we come before Him as David did, that, that we don't care about, well, what do people think? Why well, can't sing? I don't know. And, can I, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll expound on this more in a minute. Of course, 
the primary place our mind goes to when we talk about worship is, is singing songs. We call praise. Just as, as David was singing, he's, he starts that passage, sing to the Lord. It's appropriate for us to sing. But, but our entirety, the entirety of worship is not wrapped up just solely in singing a song. It's a big part of it, but it's not the whole thing. And so I can worship in a place that's not true. It's not honest. It's not real. Jesus says you have to worship in spirit and truth. These are the kind of worshipers that God is looking for. So there's a few things I want to explore in regards to worship. I, have, I, I, I hesitate to even call them points because for the linear thinkers in the room, you're going to go one, two, three, okay, all of these points kind of build on each other. And so the best way I can explain my thoughts on the, the things I want to share is this. If you've ever seen a, a, a diamond, diamonds are, are cut a certain way, and each one of those cuts is called a facet. And you can look at a diamond. We, we got to see recently, we saw the, the largest diamond in the world in, in London set in the scepter, uh, the Queen's scepter, the, 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 the Africa Star Diamond. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And the amazing thing about diamond is every way you look at it, it's beautiful. And then the way that the light changes, it, it will change in front of you. And, and the color of the light will affect the way the diamond, and it's just always beautiful. When we come to a conversation about worship, that's the kind of imagery we're looking at. I'm going to present some facets of worship that are by no means comprehensive. We could spend months on this subject. The things I want to share, I believe, are three facets of worship in the life of the believer that will cause us to go, oh my goodness, God is awesome, and I need to worship Him. And then turn it up and go, oh my goodness, God is even more awesome. He is awesomer. I'm going to just make up words. Because He is so magnanimous, so incredible, so just... Mm. And then we turn the diamond a little bit more, and then just again, oh Lord, that should be the response of our heart in worship. And so, let me jump off with this. First thing is that we have to value the presence of God. We have to value the presence of God. If I worship what I value, then I must value the presence of God above all things. I have to value. For thousands of years, people lived without the presence of God in their lives. He had to hide himself from his people because they were not free to enter in. Moses got close, right? Lord, let me just pass by. And, and, and God's like, listen, Moses, if you get too close, you will die. Okay, Lord. So he, he hides Moses in the cleft of the rock and, and the presence of God passes by. And it says of Moses that it was so, such a powerful encounter that when he came down off the mountain, his face was glowing. So much so they had to put a bag over his head. Can you imagine? I mean, come on, think about that, church. He had to put a bag over his head because he was so bright, people couldn't look at Moses just because the presence of God had passed by him. And there was a longing for the presence of God. Can I tell you, though, there was a longing in the heart of the Father for His presence to be with His people. There was a two-way longing going on. But thanks 
to, to the Lord for Jesus Christ. Luke 23, 44, we read this. It was now about noon. Darkness had come over the whole land until three in the afternoon. But the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In that moment in time, Jesus hanging on the cross, taking upon himself the sin of the world, and atoning for the sin of the world. That the presence of God, that that tearing of that curtain, the, the symbolism there, the significance of that was that God's presence no longer had to hide behind a curtain. That God's presence was now free to move among, amongst his people. And so we need to understand that God's presence is always around us, that God doesn't go anywhere, that he is constant. We've referenced Hebrews 13, 8 twice already this morning. I'll say it again. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. His presence is everywhere. And as a believer, his presence is in us as a part of who we are by his Holy Spirit. God doesn't change, but here's the problem. We do. There's an old story that I read, ago, read a long time ago. I don't know if it's made up, if it's true, but it's, it's cute and it's powerful. It's the story of a, a couple, an old couple that lived on a farm in some Midwest state. You can fill in the blank. Um, and they drove a Ford pickup because good farmers don't drive Chevys. And... Um, <laughs> And they bought this pickup truck, this young farmer and his wife, and every day they drove their truck into town. They would drive back from town. And over the years, of course, the, 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 the truck had a bench seat. And years and years later, they're driving in from town, and the wife is sitting on her side, and the husband, the, the farmer, is sitting on his side. And the wife says to the, the, the farmer, you remember when we first got this truck? He goes, Yep. He goes, you remember how I used to sit right up next to you? And he goes, yep. What happened? And he says, well, I don't know, but I didn't move. That when we feel far, far from God, we have to remember that God doesn't move. But we, in our distracted lives, in our busyness, in those times where we put our, th- our values get misaligned and misappropriate, misappropriated and God stops taking that preeminent place in our lives, we can get to a place and go, God, where are you? And he's right there. He's right there. In fact, he says, my spirit is in you. But you're looking for me. Now, the awesome thing about God is, is if you look for me, you're going to find me because he's not playing a cosmic game of hide and seek. You're going, well, huh? let's try to figure it out. You're getting warmer. No, he's just there. He's just there. We can get distracted. We can get away. We can get away from valuing the presence of God in our lives. And can I tell you, church, that's not okay. See, because what happens is we take one of the most effective tools of transformation in our lives and we set it aside. We say it's not that important. And the problem is, is that other things try and take its place. God says, you have to value my presence. John 15, verse 5 through 8, Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are plucked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory. Listen, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This idea of remaining or abiding, that we stay where we're supposed to be. Even David, the great worshiper, came to a season of his life where he fell, where he sinned, where he essentially broke the heart of God. Why? Because David wasn't where he was supposed to be. His sin with Bathsheba, that passage starts, in the spring when kings go to war, David was in Jerusalem. And he didn't stay where he was supposed to be. As believers in Jesus Christ, as servants of the Most High God, that there is a valuing of the presence and abiding that takes place where we say, God, I need to stay where I'm supposed to be in your presence, connected to the vine, because it's the place where there's fruit in my life that the fruit comes from. But if I stop valuing his presence and start resisting and doing my own thing, we start wondering why there's no fruit. Why am I struggling? Why does it feel like I'm just getting by? God goes, you have to value my presence in your life. And so even though we have the abiding presence of God in our hearts, that he, he doesn't give us his presence and take it away and then give it and take it away, because that would just be messed up, right? Can I get an amen? Come on. I don't want to serve that kind of God who plays games. He says, I've given you my presence. I'm not going to take it away. But your awareness of me, your awareness of me, the valuing you have of my presence will change your life. And he won't force that on us. He won't press that into, into place in our lives. He says, you have my presence. Now what you do with my presence, what you do with my son Jesus Christ is up to you. Now abide, remain in me. Stay where you're supposed to stay. David wrote this, Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I, rise, if I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. God isn't going anywhere. You can't get away. You can't be distracted. See, because even though his presence is there, do I gaze upon him? Do I look into his face and say, God, change me? transform me, do a work in my life? Do I get to a place where I'm saying, Lord, just in a minute, in a minute, I'll be right with you. I've got other things to do. There's other things that are more pressing. God's saying, I'm, I'm here. I'm waiting. There needs to be in our lives a healthy tension between the transcendence of God and the imminence of God. Let me explain his transcendence is, is what we just read in Psalm 139. He is everywhere, and he is awesome. It's Isaiah standing in the throne room of God going, whoa, <laughs> whoa. 
Woe am I, for I am undone, and I am, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst an un, a people of unclean lips. And then as he gazes on the presence of God, the train of his robe filling the temples, and the, and the angels singing, and the cherubim, and the seraphim, and just, whoa, I don't belong here. The transcendence, awesome Incredible, almighty, eternal God of the universe. He is bigger, he is smarter, he is just better. He is transcendent. And at the same time, the eminence of God is closeness. Because of Jesus Christ, we read these words in Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence... To enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. Since we can just stop there for a second, the curtain was torn in the temple. The curtain is what prevented people from going into the presence of God. And here the writer of Hebrews says that the curtain that made way for us to go into God's presence was Jesus himself. He became the curtain, the veil that was torn so that we would have entrance. That is awesome. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in truth, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. We go from a place of where God is far off, transcendent, distant, to now we have the ability and the invitation to come boldly into the most holy place, to come confidently. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. The picture of eminence is this. We talked about this last week. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. In another place, another Mary washing Jesus' feet with her hair. Right? Washing his feet with her tears as they dripped onto his feet and then wiping his feet with her hair. Think about this, church. The God of the universe allows a woman to come and wash his feet. The God of the universe, in bodily form, Jesus Christ, welcoming children to sit on his lap. And the disciples, of course, go, no, 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 no kids. Don't you know who this is? He says, no, 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 you don't understand. If you don't receive them, them you don't receive me. Whew. And he brings them and he sits them on his lap and he hugs them and probably gave them noogies and Tickled them, right? Oh no, I'm Jesus, I'm too serious. No! <laughs> Jesus just loved kids. Why? Because he's imminent, he is close. And so he is both at the same time. That he is both transcendent and imminent, both at the same time. And then if I focus too much on he's transcendent, my worship grows cold and stoic and just mechanical. And if I focus too much on the imminence, Jesus becomes too familiar. And I lose sight of the fear of God. They see my buddy. No, he's not. He's your Lord and Savior, the King of the universe. 
And yes, he allows you to come close, but he ain't your buddy. Does that make sense? And so in between these two places, there's this tension that exists in our hearts where my heart, like David's, wants to cry out. And sometimes I'm like, oh God, you're so close. And other times I'm like, God, you're just awesome. And as I live in this place, and as I'm aware of his presence, and I value his presence in my life, can I tell you, church, there is no place like that for you to be transformed into the image of Jesus. That he does a deep work in our lives and in our hearts in that place. I believe that if the enemy wants the church to stop being effective, he'll stop us from worshiping. There's just power. I can walk into a worship service and feel down and depressed and struggling. And in the midst of worship, my spirit is lifted. My gaze is lifted. I look upon the face of my Lord and Savior and everything changes. And not just that. There's something very practical about singing a song. Try thinking. Let's do a little practice here, right? If you're thinking of a pink elephant, which you all now are, that has little wings and now it's fluttering above the ground. See how far we can go with that. You're thinking about that and now start singing a worship song. Hosanna. Hosanna. What happens to the thought of the elephant? It's gone, right? It's gone. That when we declare praise with our mouths and words are coming out, sometimes we just like to listen to worship, and that's okay. But there's something about actually opening your mouth and singing the words. Well, I don't have a singing voice. The Bible says make a joyful noise. And start in your car and then bring it in here. There is no one judging you in this place. Why? Because when we start declaring the praise of God, David's saying, I'm going to just shout so everyone can hear. Because he's awesome. And when we live in that place, man, whatever else is going on, it doesn't exist in that moment. It's out of our purview. We start gazing on the thing we value most, the abiding manifest, glorious presence of God in our lives. And when we do that, it's in his presence that there's joy, that there's healing, that there's hope, that there's transformation. Definitely ran out of time. So we'll have to carry on next week, but this is a good place. Stop. James chapter 5, verse 13. We'll close with this. these two things. Practice the presence of God. Practice the presence of God in your life. How? Worship. Sing. Not the only way to worship. Just to, on Easter Sunday, Leslie was up here drawing. Some, some people, it's art. Some people, it's nature. I've got to be on a hiking trail somewhere where there's no people around, right? We all worship. We all have a different bent in that. But I believe that none of us are let off the hook when it comes to singing. That we, we're called to declare the praises of him who loves us. Sing personally in your life. Why? Because when you're singing, you're not easily distracted. And there's victory. And there's something about when you're declaring the truth of who God is. It's also a great way to, to memorize scripture. There, for, for kids, there's some great scripture memorization CDs. Bands that, uh, there's a, a group called the Risers. They do a whole... The whole thing, a whole album of, and we listen to it as adults. We're like, this is great. 
right? Because when you tie those, those, and it's just straight scripture, you tie it to song, it's easier to remember. And when you're declaring out loud the truths of God, right, the enemy's got to, he's got to get out of there. He's got to get out of there. So personally, James 5.13, is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Come on. Prayer and worship go hand in hand. In fact, prayer and word and the worship, these are all tied together. They don't stand independently of each other. Um, That's why we sing on a Sunday morning. Before we have time in the Word, there's fellowship that takes place here. We do these things together. We pray. We do all of these things together. Why? Because they, they, they're tied to each other. These tools work. To, they're like, a, like a, 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 um, a godly Leatherman tool, right? It's got everything on it. They work together. All right, for tool people, you get that. But then corporately as well, Hebrews t- chapter 10, verse 19, it goes on to say, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching, that day being the day of Jesus' return. Um, I'm encouraged that in the book of Hebrews that there were people who had a hard time getting to church on Sunday. That we're not alone, that our culture is, that we don't own the, the corner on the, that market, that it's been a challenge for churches. Can I tell you, it's important for you to be in the presence of God in this place corporately. Is his presence out there? Absolutely. But when we come together, we hear a word like was shared this morning. When we hear the voices of those around, I, oh, I'm just in a tough place. I really can't sing this morning, but man, I'm surrounded by people who are singing and praising God. It does something to us. And that when we isolate ourselves and separate ourselves from corporate worship, we are weakening ourselves. We are weakening ourselves that there is strength in this place. All the more as the day approaches, it will be more and more important for us as a church before Jesus' return to be committed to being together in fellowship and standing strong, encouraging, spurring each other on in good deeds. I'm going to invite you to stand in just a second. Before I do, I want to give you two invitations. First is this. The word that was shared earlier about the the Father. In a few minutes, our our prayer team is going to come to the front. If you raised your hand, I know our prayer team is ready. They are eager. They're wanting to pray with you. Am I right, prayer team? Yeah. You guys, are. they're ready to pray with you. Don't miss an opportunity to stand with someone and partner in prayer and say, and let's pray specifically to those things in your life and let's see God do an amazing work. Second thing is this, this word about worship, and we will continue next week. This word about worship, if this is touching a place in your heart, if this is bringing conviction to your heart this morning, you need to respond. You need to respond. It's not okay to just go, no. That really, that really spoke to me. That was good. And then walk out the door. There is something about stepping out and responding. That response could be come forward and pray with our prayer team. They'd love to do that as well. Maybe it's I don't have any worship music and I need some worship music to put in my car. 
figure out right now, make a decision right now about how this week you will practice the presence of God more, that you will value His presence more this week than you did last week. Like decide it, say this is what I'm going to do, set a game plan, and, and go for it. You will be better for it, I guarantee it. Let's stand together this morning. Can we just lift our hands before the Lord?